Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? This is the radio guy, the Dr. Mike Prince. You know we come to you each and every day with the world of HBCU sports and beyond. We are in my territory now. We're talking collegiate baseball. We are fortunate to have on the line with us right now the head baseball coach of the Southern Jaguars, and that is none other than Coach Carrick Jackson. Coach, hello and welcome to the show, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity. Well, we look forward for the opportunity here and beyond. Uh, we were doing a little catch-up. Uh, we know uh, that you came from Missouri uh, baseball program. But before we get into that, give an introduction to the listening audience and let it be known that uh, Jag Nation does listen to this show. So introduce yourself to some of the people who might not be fully aware of who Carrick Jackson is. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, Carrick Jackson, I'm originally from St. Louis. I've uh, been uh, involved in this game now for as a player coach, uh, agent, scout uh, for over 20-plus years. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, my most recent stop from a coaching standpoint was at the University of Missouri, uh, where we won a Big 12 championship there. And uh, my last year there in 2015, um, our team was ranked as high as 12th in the country, uh, and we won 15 games in the SEC. Then uh, I took a little leave of absence from the game uh, and took a job with uh, the Boris Corporation as an agent. Uh, and Scott Boris is one of the, hands down, probably one of the top sports agents in the business, um, not just baseball, but uh, in this period, but he only deals with baseball. Uh, but after spending that time there, and if this opportunity was available, uh, I had to jump on the chance to come back into coaching, but not only come back into coaching, but come back into coaching at, at the HBCU level and be in a situation where having an opportunity in this time in the game where we talk about lack of black players and coaches in the game uh, to, to hopefully get in here and kind of make a mark and rejuvenate some of that a little bit on our end. Well, you know what strikes my interest right now, the fact that you are a St. Louis native like myself. So I have to automatically kind of keep the door cracked open for you uh, with access here on the show. So I'm going to let you know. Anytime you, you feel the need, all you got to do is let me know, brother, and we'll create room for you here on the Open Mic Broadcast Network. Um, you, we were talking, and uh, you have some uh, history with some of the schools I used to run up against, uh, not only in the high school ranking in St. Louis, but in the JUCO ranking, uh, Merrimack, a lot of people might not be aware of, uh, was a baseball powerhouse um, back in the day. Uh, consistent, uh, excellent program. I guess I would consider that to maybe um, that of a, in the Texas, people would understand Blinn, JUCO College, uh, as far as baseball uh, credibility and San Jack baseball. But a very strong baseball history line that you're tied to yes yes uh you know when i when i went there like you said it was kind of one of the the places to be if you were going to go to junior college in the midwest uh coach 
Westman, who has been there for almost 30 years, um, nine trips to the Juco Road Series. My last year there, we went to the Juco Road Series and finished third um, and just had a history of moving players on to Division One institutions and pro ball and all those kind of things. So, so yeah, I was very fortunate to be part of that program. Well, look, I'm going to give a little self-promotion right now. They say I don't promote myself enough, but you go back and check those record books from the JUCO era of Merrimack and, and Forest Park and all those three rivers, and you'll see my names in the record books. They're all-American catcher there. So I just want you to know that – I know a little bit about this game we're about to talk about here in just a second, but it's always good to hook up with a St. Louis native and then someone within the HBCU ranks. For sure. No, I appreciate it. Now, you have come about almost in a, in a, a roundabout way. You come from the SEC, uh, Missouri Tigers, huge success. You step away from the game. You come back. And you now are back in the ranks, HBCU, Division One program. And on top of that, you're replacing a legend in the likes of Coach Kador. Yeah. How um, have you handled that? You know, it, it's been uh, what I tell people all the time is, um, you know, when I first got here last year, everybody, you got some big shoes to fill. And kind of my comment to them was, those are shoes that I probably won't ever fill. Um, you know, when he started here um, back in the, the early 80s uh, as a coach, obviously he was here as a player in both basketball and baseball before that, but starting here as a coach in that time frame uh, and when, you know, there weren't a lot of options for, for places for black players to go from a collegiate baseball standpoint, uh, this was one of those, this was the mecca. Uh, and and so the, the tradition and history that carried basically the 80s through the 90s through the early 2000s, uh, the number of players that, that came through here and the success that they had. And when you talk to these guys, and you know, back in the day when the NCAA wasn't as, as stringent, you know, they would have 80 guys out here. Um, and you know, there's people that lay claim to being part of Southern University baseball that never put a uniform on, but they knew. Uh, what it represented, and so they wanted to be associated with that. And, and then you hear stories about guys getting drafted and guys that were getting drafted that weren't even playing. Um, so they, you know that it was a deep talent pool. Uh, and so so for me, this opportunity represented uh, a chance to basically take something that was and bring it back to where it used to be and then hopefully take it to another level. Uh, in my press conference, one of the first things I said was, I want to be – the first HBCU to go to Omaha. Um, and, and I think that in this day and age, I think if you have the right uh, development plan in place and coaching uh, and you do a good job recruiting, you know, we know that we have probably young black players out there that are playing this game. And it's our job to go out there, find them, coach them up, and get them in a position where we can put them on the same stage and shine on that stage and, and rise above. We're talking right now with Carrick Jackson, head baseball coach of the Southern Jaguars of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Coach, you just made a reference to black players. There are enough black players. Do you feel or is there an unwritten pressure that in order for you to lead an HBCU baseball program, you must have black players to be successful? No, I, I don't think that it's, it's that. Um, I don't think you have to. I mean, if you, to be honest with you, if you look, 
uh, at, at the majority of our HBCUs, um, they have very, very mixed rosters. Uh, and, and even with us this year, you know, with coming in my first year, um, we some of the kids that we went after, um, some of the black players that we went after because of the lack of success that we've had, uh, chose to go in other directions. Um, and uh, the, the one thing that has amazed me since I've been here is the number of kids that we look at to, to be part of our program that are black kids, and the response is that they would rather go to a predominantly white institution. Um, and so I think that that we have to change that perception of what our black kids think of HBCU baseball. Um, and so I, I do believe from my scouting days, from my days at Missouri, um, I believe that there's enough players out there that can help us be successful at that level, at a very high level. Um, and, and again, the goal for me ultimately is to have an all-black roster. The reality of it is that it may not be that way, that it may be a mixed roster, that we may have some kids of Latin descent, that we may have um, a couple of white kids on our roster. Um, but um, if, if I can, um, as we move forward, able to have that and, and we won't not recruit white players or hispanic players or anything like that but i won't comprise a roster predominantly hispanic or white kids in order to win because I, I believe that you can win with our young black players in this game absolutely there has been a huge uh change of perception for baseball as i knew it been a little bit older than you and as you may have known it growing up uh baseball has almost priced itself out of the market with select ball and this, that, and the other, and how expensive it can become. How do you counter that, and what are some of the contrasting differences that you are seeing coming from an SEC-funded program to a SWAC-funded program? Well, I think when you do look at uh, you know your first statement with regards to travel ball and, and the cost of travel ball um, exceeding what a lot of our families can afford to do. I think more importantly, when you look at what the ultimate goal is for them, um, and, and that it, the immediate goal is college. And so when you start there and you look at college baseball, the fact that we don't offer full scholarships in comparison to football and basketball, I think that's where you got to start. Um, because uh, when you look at AAU basketball, AAU basketball is not cheap. Uh, when these, you got these kids flying all over the country and doing all those kinds of things, and again, yes, all they got to do is get a pair of shoes and those types of things uh, to, to play, but at the end of the day, they still travel, uh, and they travel every weekend, and, and they travel uh, quite a bit more than what our baseball players travel, but somehow these kids are being able to still play AAU basketball. Um, and, and so when you look at that part of it, um, I think that, one, being able to have better coaching at the younger levels. Uh, one of the things that I firmly believe is that if you went and you looked at a 10U football team and you looked at a 10U AAU basketball team and you looked at a 10U baseball team, all in our communities, that the coaching expertise and knowledge base in football and basketball will, across the board, will far outweigh that which, which is going to be represented in baseball. And so then when you're taking our young kids you're exposing them to a game that the premise of the game is built around failure, but yet they're not being able to coach to understand how to play the game and that, hey, it's not about we always have to be successful by the numbers, that success and failure is part of this game, but we have to find that consistent pocket, which allows us to be successful in the long term. When they're not learning that, then all they see is failure. And, and then you compile that with the idea that most of us played 
this game, and as we started to grow up in it, we were one or two of the black kids that were on predominantly white teams. So then you're definitely not going to take our kids and put them in that situation where they're going to fail in front of people that don't look like them. Nah, I'm going to go and go do something else because I know if I get this guy on the basketball court, I get this guy on the football field, I'm going to do him in. Um, And so being able to provide better coaching to our younger kids, I think, will help us in in raising that. Uh, To your second point with regards to the changes uh, that are seen between going from Missouri and coming to Southern, financially, they're huge. I mean, there's no doubt about it that that, uh, when you look at budgets and those types of things, um, that they're drastically different. Um, But I'm also one of those people that, you know, you just got to figure out a way to get it done. Um, and, and, and the change of me being a first-time head coach and understanding about going out and you know, raising money and doing all those things and coaching coaches and picking uniforms. And you know, as, as an assistant coach, I was the best head coach in the country. Um, and then when I, when I sat in that chair and realized all the responsibilities that head coaches have that I never knew anything about because every head coach that I work with didn't involve us in those things. Now you get here and you realize that coaching baseball is probably the smallest part of what we do. And that's a huge deal breaker for some people because they're going like, um, I'm not used to this. Where back then we used to do it like that. And so you got to put all these things together. You have to have several hats in order for the, the, the train to keep moving in a smooth manner. And, and with all that being said, uh, it, it opens up your eyes rather quickly, doesn't it? It does. It does. And especially when you're in a place where, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I've been here now uh, a year and a half, uh, and I've had coaching turnover. You know, I lost a coach to the Dodgers um, and, and brought in a new assistant, bringing in a new assistant coach. I lost another coach. And basically he got in here and realized that, uh, you mean we don't just coach? we got to do office work and this, that. Now nah, that's not for me. Um, and so that's also the other piece to it. Uh, and specifically when you're dealing with the salary structure that we're dealing with, you know, I mean, again, when you're in SEC and you're making six figures, um, you understand what comes with that. When you're here and you're not making that, uh, then you better be doing it for the love of what it is that you're doing uh, and with the idea of growth. Right? I tell all of my assistant coaches is, listen, if we do this thing the right way, this will be a transition for you. Uh, but my goal is that as we grow as a program and continue to get more and more successful, that I'm able to put you in a situation where when you leave here, you're leaving for something significant. You're not just leaving saying, hey, I can't afford to stay here and coach. No, I'm leaving because this opportunity puts me in a position to do X, Y, and Z. We're talking right now with Carrick Jackson, head baseball coach of the Southern Jags here on the Mike Prince Show. Coach, um, I'm really uh, enjoying this opportunity to talk baseball with you. And, and going back to what you said, one of the greatest misconceptions is that baseball, everybody think they can play baseball. They think, you know, I can take off a year or two and come back and get right back at it. But baseball is one of those things you must have a deep passion, not just a love, but a passion to be consistent at getting improved, learning how to overcome that 30% failure mark if you're at the plate. And and just it's a life lesson that continually goes on and off the diamond. When you see the caliber of ball players that you have to deal with and contend with on, and I'm going to say an FCS level, we know that they've balanced it out with 11.7 scholarships 
for all programs, but all budgets are not created equally, just as you touched upon. How do you overcome some of those things? Well, I think that what we have to do is, and specifically when you're talking about comparing the players that we may see uh, at some of those bigger schools, the difference between those kids and our kids is their skill level in baseball IQ. Um, it's not it's not ability. It's not athletic ability. Um, it's definitely it's not the physical aspect of thing. It's it's the baseball IQ. Understanding of the swing, it's the understanding of the pitching mechanics, it's, it's all those types of things. And so, for us, what we have to do, and, and our philosophy is going to be to go out and recruit players that have that high level of athletic ability um, and that have an interest and a desire to be successful in this game, and then coach them up. Um, so, similar to the path that you and I went, right? That we went to junior college, and in junior college, we spent those two years of development that then put us in a position to go on to Division One institutions and be successful there. Well, for me, give me those kids now. Give me the Mike Princes of the world now, and let me get you in here and grow you up on the field in this league, and then by the time you're a junior, you're a dude, and now we're playing at the same level as some of those other programs because we're going to develop you in, in a manner which will increase your baseball IQ, which will give you a better understanding of the game, which will refine your swing and understand what you need to be doing defensively and to think the game at a high level so that now your junior year, we're rolling. And then when you create that cycle year in and year out, and it just rolls over from player to player to player, as our guys get to do this as seniors, we don't want to coach those kids anymore. They've been in the program for two or three years. They should be running on autopilot, they should be establishing a structure, they should be establishing a culture, and then now we coach the freshmen, we coach the sophomores, we fine-tune the juniors, and then we let the seniors lead, and that should lead us, put us in a position where we'll be successful. And that's the key between having a good team versus a good program. you got to take these guys and cultivate them, so you would rather get that freshman and mold that freshman. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, yes, and and probably what we're going to look to do here early, um, and, and probably what I think we'll always do, is we'll look to junior colleges, obviously, to fill need. I don't want to be in a situation where we just bring in seven or eight junior college players a year and we just roll our, our cycle over, our roster over every year with junior college players because if you miss on a junior college class, then you get caught. Um, and, and then it, uh, you, you get yourself in a situation where, shoot, we missed on these guys and there's five of them. Well, now we got them, and we got them on XYZ money because we invested in these players. Now we can't recover from that. And then the recovery for that is to go recruit more junior college players. Whereas if you mix it in, you fill with junior college players the holes that you need, or you fill with junior college players, which is what I plan for us to do with pitching, um, because you get experienced pitchers. Um, Then now you grow those freshmen up, and if you miss on a freshman, well, then now we can recover from that because now I just got to go, hey, we brought this high school shortstop in. The game's too fast for him. You know, he's not able to make adjustments. You know, we thought he was ready to be away from home. He's not. Okay, now I'll go get a junior college player. And then, okay, now we're looking for a high school shortstop to come in behind this junior college player that we know we're going to have for two years. Um, so if we go that route, I think that it will put us in a position to, to get exactly what it is that I want to get accomplished. Okay, sounding very good. Now, I'm, I'm getting excited about this because this is a question that I try to ask coaches. It's a, a meter for me. And then just to kind of gauge how you govern your team accordingly. Uh, you have a 23-25 man roster. In most cases, uh, when we're talking about, and I'm thinking HBCU, FCS caliber, 
I personally, I'm looking for that athletic type of ball player. And when I say athletic type of ball player, they can play more than one position. Do you put a lot of emphasis on pitcher only or guys that can give you some other attributes to add to your team, knowing that you have the structure challenges that you have, or should I say budget challenges, that you can get a guy that can probably play one other position other than pitching? What's your philosophy when it goes to recruiting ballplayers for your program? So, like you said, I think we we ideally you start off with the idea of recruiting the best athletes on that team. And traditionally, those are going to be shortstops. You're going to have um, your center fielders, guys up the middle, um, your catcher, because that's such a defensive position, um, specific position, that you're going to look there. And that high school shortstop that plays shortstop in his high school for four years, he may come here and he may be a guy that his hands were good enough for him to play shortstop in high school, but he can really, really run. And at our level, now you're not a shortstop. We're going to move you to the outfield. Or he plays shortstop in high school. His feet are really slow. He's got arm strength. He's got good hands. Okay, well, now we're going to look to move you to third or first base um, or, you know, something in that manner. What I think for when you talk about two-way players, and, and I tell kids, and we get it all the time, I'll coach, you know, I pitched and I hit. Okay, well, to be a two-way player at this level, I need you to be better than average at both. If you can't be better than average at both, then that means one of those two areas is suffering. And so for, as opposed to us taking a guy that's a two-way guy that can be an average pitcher and an average hitter or position player, we will look to say, okay, can you be better than average at both? And if not, then which one of these two areas will you excel in? And then let's gravitate towards that direction. Um, and then when you do come across that player that has the ability to do both things, uh, then then you take them and you, you allow them to do that. But when you look across the board, um, at, when I was at Missouri, in my five years' time that I was there, we had one guy uh, that was a two-way guy. And then he made the decision going into his junior year, because it was his draft year, that I'm not going to get drafted as a hitter. I'm going to get drafted as a pitcher. And this, unfortunately for us, this was a guy that, his sophomore year, he hit nine home runs and hit in the middle of the order and led our team in RBI. But we had to respect the idea of him saying, I'm, I'm losing something on the mound that's not allowing me to be successful, so I want to gravitate towards doing this. So, yes, if we can find that guy that can be better than average at both, I'm all for it. But it doesn't do us any good, and it doesn't allow us to excel and get to where I want us to get as a program if we bring in a guy that's a two-way player, but he's average at both of those positions. Because when you specialize here and the time that's spent from a pitching standpoint and the time that's spent from a hitting and position player standpoint, you're missing out on something trying to put both of those things in. Absolutely. I can remember when um, it was uh, advised to me strongly um, as, a, as a sophomore freshman, actually in high school, if you focus on catching, and you become a good defensive catcher. When I say a defensive catcher, the ability to call a game, um, keep track of what hitters are struggling with, what their strengths are, being able to lead defensively by blocking the ball, having a, a, a good enough release to get runners out. Those are things that build. But the game has changed a lot on the collegiate level. And a lot of Coaches now are calling the pitches for catchers. Are you one of those type coaches? I am. Um, I, I give our catchers the leeway uh, to call in the fall uh, and then 
um, and then basically try and educate them and coach them up, and then even in the early spring, and we talk about it during the course of it. Um, and, again, the idea of development is getting them to a position where we, if I bring you in as a freshman and you're catching for us, that you start to understand some of the things that are necessary to call a game. And then so hopefully by the time you get to being that junior, you understand it. You understand how to control the running game. You understand, you know, what situations you're reading pitchers that you have and what they're doing. You read the hitters and what they have. And I think that's a process um, that, that we have to educate these kids on about calling games um, because when you watch our guys, they, they default. Oh, one, we're going to a breaking ball. Uh, one one, I'm going to you know a fastball away, and it's it's it just it doesn't matter the hitter, it doesn't matter the situation. They just fall into a pattern, and they do the same thing over and over and over again. And so it's a process of us teaching them, hey, these are the things you have to factor in when you're calling a game. These different situations, um, and during the fall, we'll have suggestive just you know a system where they tell me what they're thinking, and okay, yeah. And then, or no, you don't need to go this route. So um, we, we definitely work on the development aspect of that. Yes, sir. And one of the most important things is understanding the difference between a pitcher and a thrower. And a lot of guys yeah. get so uh, enamored with a guy, man, he's got good velocity. He's throwing 90 plus, but he's not a pitcher. He just throws a, a straight fastball or a breaking ball that forgets to break every so often. And it's one of those theories. You hang it, we bang it. If, if, <laughs> right. if you got an understanding of how to pitch a game, you can be just as effective throwing an 84-mile-an-hour fastball, understanding how to pitch, versus just throwing pure heat 90 and above. You agree or disagree with that, Coach? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, one of the things I talk about is, um, you know, when, when we talk about pitch calling, uh, I, I basically make sure our guys understand, don't put yourself in a position where you challenge the pitch selection. Let's first talk about, talk about execution. If I call a fastball away in an 0-2 situation off the plate and you throw a fastball and you leave it in the middle of the plate and he hits a home run, don't say, well, why did we call a fastball? Why well, didn't call a fastball in the middle of the plate at the belt? With O2, I call the fastball away off the plate. Now, if we call fastball away off the plate and that guy hits it, well, then that happens. Um, but uh, but make sure that we're understanding what it is that we're doing, and it's not necessarily the pitch that's called. It's did we execute it properly? Uh, and then also with our pitchers, they always have the opportunity to shake because, as you know, I can't ask you to throw something that you're not convicted in throwing. Mm-hmm. If I call a breaking ball in, in a 2-2 count and you don't believe that you can throw a breaking ball in that situation, then for you to throw it, you're going to throw it half-heartedly and it's going to be choked or left in the middle and we don't get the goal accomplished that we want to get accomplished. Um, so I give them that, that ability to shake and, and then sometimes I tell them, no, you know, you're going to shake and I want this pitch. You have to trust that this is the right pitch and then be convicted in, in my belief that this is a pitch to throw, and my confidence in you throwing this pitch, because otherwise I wouldn't have called it for you to throw it. Man, you just just reminded me of a funny story, man. I'm going to tell you this real quick, because I know we're running out of time. Um, I'm catching a game, calling. Guy only had three pitches, and I'm calling him for his pitches, and he keeps shaking off, and I go through all his pitches. I said, man, why are you shaking? You don't have no other pitches. Unbeknown to me, he had swallowed some tobacco juice, and it was about 92 degrees, and he couldn't see, and he kept shaking his head to try to clear his head up. 
end up collapsing out there on the mile. Man, just when you kept saying you're shaking off pitches, just reminded me some of the crazy things that we have to deal with in this game that I love. Coach, it's obvious that we could talk baseball all day. And you got to promise me that you'll make yourself available to come back on the show. Definitely. I've enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Now, look, before we shut down, let's talk about your upcoming season. This is your second year coming into something. Now, some would question, hey, man, you signed a two-year contract. A, the season coming up, and why the two-year deal? You know, that was something that basically I was told from an administrative standpoint, that's how they do things here. Um, and it wasn't, that wasn't negotiable. Um, is it, is it kind of unfair? Yeah, it is, but you know, life is life. Um, I walked into a situation where we had scholarship penalties. We had postseason reduction. We had practice limitations and hour limitations. Um, and, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, if, if at the end of this year, they don't believe that I'm the person for the job, then, then so be it. Um, uh, but, but I believe with, with what, uh, I was handed, uh, and the situation that I was put in, um, it didn't show on paper with the wins and losses standpoint last year because we were 9-33. and 15 of our losses were two runs or less. We got walked off six times. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe that if you talk to anybody that played us, we might have been one of the best seven teams in the country. Uh, but the problem was we played nine inning ball games. Um, but uh, but it, it was a situation where I believe that our kids showed some growth in that, um, you know, we found out at the beginning of the year that we weren't going to be postseason eligible, which kind of uh, was a stinger for the kids that the seniors that year, because the year before that, they did go to the postseason. Uh, they, they were able to go to the conference tournament. But then we found out last year at the beginning of the year that we couldn't go to the conference tournament. Um, so there was a lot of things that were thrown at us last year that made it difficult, but I walked away from the year feeling good about the strides that we did make uh, and being able to educate our guys. And then going into year two, like I said, it being a two-year deal, um, you know, uh, the, the, the powers that be uh, didn't see it fit uh, to give me more than two years. And so I have to take that for what it is and, and hope that uh, at the end of this season uh, they see fit to give me an extension and allow me to continue to grow this thing in the manner that we're trying to grow it. Yes, sir. You talk about some of those close games and the walk-off games. You actually uh, witnessed you guys losing walk-off fashion against Prairie View here at Prairie View. That was a heartbreaker. Uh, for you guys went back and forth but uh, when you're doing things right it may seem slow but eventually it's not given to the swift nor the strong but to him that can endure to the end and coach I will honestly and openly tell you this that I will root for you except for one team that you play against and that is my beloved Prairie View A&M University Panthers is that okay uh, yes, sir. I appreciate it. We'll take all the support we can get. <laughs> Look, Coach, I want to give you some closing thoughts and comments as we get ready to come toward the end of this segment. Well, I, again, I appreciate you, Mike, for having me on and giving me this opportunity to talk about our program and the direction that we're headed and the things that we're trying to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's to me, uh, I take a great sense of pride in being able to be at an HBCU and being able to put myself in a situation, in this institution, in a situation where if we get things accomplished that, that I want us to get accomplished, I think we change the game and I think we change the narrative and perspective on HBCU baseball. And, and by doing that, um, you know, now we start to regenerate the idea that that interest from our kids are saying, wait a minute, I just saw them in a regional and they're the first HBCU to win a regional, similar to what we saw with the Jackie Robinson team at the Little League World Series. That was a national phenomenon of 
wow, it's never been done before. Look at these kids on TV playing at a high level on a national stage. I believe that we're going to do the same thing here at Southern University. And I think when that does happen and when we put ourselves in that situation to where we are on TV and we do win that first regional, it'll be a national story. It'll change the game uh, as, as far as how our kids think about it and how they think about playing. And more importantly, about what our kids think about where they should go to have success. Uh, and so when we can change that narrative and get them to say, well, maybe I can go to an HBCU. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get coached up. I'm going to have a chance to get drafted and I'm going to play at a very high level. That's a situation that I'd like to look at and put myself in. And so if we can do that, I think that we, we can do some positive things for baseball across the board with kids in our community. Very well stated, sir. And as you were saying that, I was just reminded about the passing of a legend in the game of baseball, Frank Robinson, passing on a first African-American uh, manager for the Cleveland Indians and won MVP in both the National and the American League. And um, our respects and, and condolences go out to his family and to the world of baseball. Coach, I want to thank you so much man for making yourself available he is coach Carrick jackson of the southern jaguars i am the radio guy the doctor mike prince of course our social media handles are for twitter facebook and instagram at the mike prince show the youtube channel is open mic broadcast network our website it's obnradio.com and of course our 24-hour dial-in message line 713-570-6736 and until the next time you guys be blessed and we'll see you on the other side every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.